Welcome to Cardboard Philosophy, the board game podcast where we talk about nothing serious, seriously. Each episode, we randomly pick from a list of niche, deep board game topics and have at it. So we invite you to join us at the table, listen in on our conversations, and let us know what you think. Welcome back to episode 18 of Cardboard Philosophy. It is I, Robert, alongside my companions, compadres, fellow board gamers, Stephen and Evan. Hello. Yo. Once again, we're going to roll a die and talk about something probably strange. So here we go. Number four, how arbitrary are board game rules? This is one of my topics. And since it's number four, this is like from like the very first list that we made. It's yeah. an old topic. It's been waiting to be talked about. Mm-hmm. It has dust on it. Yeah. It has dust on it. Exactly. <laughs> Just like your favorite board games. Ouch. <laughs> so the question is, how arbitrary are board game rules? Are all rules just random nonsense, or do some rules feel like they just make more sense? I think I thought about this when I was thinking about terraforming Mars, because I'm a masochist, <laughs> and I was thinking about how some people call the, like, take that cards in that game arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Like, they feel like they don't fit, and I feel that way, too. It's so strange to me that in a heads down, I build my own sandbox, you build yours, all of a sudden somebody can be like, oh, I'm going to steal two of your things. It feels like it, it doesn't fit. It, it, it makes people th- say that it's arbitrary, but other times the rules feel intuitive and like they belong. So are they all just random nonsense or does it make sense sometimes? So is the question trying to get at a bunch of rules that feel one way and then there's kind of like an outlier basically. Mm-hmm. Like um, some feel like they fit in or make sense or like it fits the theme maybe. I feel like if you just have like a single rule isolated, I don't know if, how you would determine if it's like arbitrary. It, maybe like you need a couple of them to start like gelling together and then like an outlier kind of stands out. Yeah, context I think is everything here. Like I'm, I'm kind of asking when do rules feel like they are intuitive in their context? Like I can think of some games where I just keep forgetting something or no, or people get annoyed at some kind of restriction. Like that's such an arbitrary restriction. Why do I have to like keep my resources in a column? Like why, why does, what does this add to the game? Like it's something you forget or you don't like or it frustrates you. And it just like, it's, there's this dissonance of like, it feels like it shouldn't, it doesn't belong. So maybe it's more about when do rules feel like they belong in a game and when do some rules feel extra or like they're holdovers from previous iterations or just like they're straight out of other games whether it be because of the themes or the mechanics, whatever, but sometimes they feel off. I think it's very easy for that to happen in a game where the thematics are taking precedence over the game. And I think a lot of IP games struggle with that, especially if it's a newer designer or a newer company publishing it or even just someone a company that's focusing more on the aesthetics and the look of the game than they are the actual gameplay. Uh, You think of stuff from like Horizon Zero Dawn or Dark Souls, like those weren't super well reviewed because a lot of the rules just felt very clunky and kind of messy. And I think it's because they're going more for, well, that's what you do in the game. Darkest Dungeon is another great example of that where it got kind of blasted by reviews, but they were going for a very simulationist sort of vibe from the game. And so you're sacrificing gameplay at the table for gameplay similarity with a video game if that makes sense Mm. uh speaking of video games this all kind of reminds me oh man i can't remember the author's name of the top i'll i'll make sure it's linked in the whatever but um 
there's a book about the development of GoldenEye and they talk about the lead designer, I believe, and I don't remember his name, but um, I think he had like four principles and rules for like deciding on stuff that goes in the game or not. And it was like, is it fun? Is it funny? Does it make sense in the universe of the game? And is it fair? Is it fun? I think is like always a question about rules, but then like, mm-hmm. does it make sense in the universe of the game? I feel like that's always the one that like is kind of the fuzziest or open to interpretation. Um, but like, yeah. I feel like that's kind of what we're talking about right now is that like, does, does adding some mechanic or something or some theme element, does it just sort of feel out of place? And like, I think this conversation can kind of go back to the, is it fair point in that list? Because in the terraforming Mars example, I think why it feels so out of place is it doesn't necessarily feel fair. Why is Hmm. Robert now able to take two of my things from me when that's not really been something that's come up for the last hour and it will not come up again for the next hour. It's just this outlier of, well, why does he get my Mm -hmm. stuff? I want my stuff. I've worked hard for my stuff. I mean, it's very subjective. Um, Like, for example, in a lot of Lucerta games, Kanban and on Mars when you get stuff, you can't use it the turn you get it. It like goes in like this weird holding area and then on the next turn you can actually start using it. And that's there for no thematic reason. It's just like to prevent you from comboing mm-hmm. because it's supposed to emphasize long-term planning and you're supposed to be strategic. You can't just like kind of quote unquote luck into something on your turn and then immediately use it. You have to plan to use it. So there's no universe that it's fitting into there. But I as a player get it. I'm like, oh, he's preventing combos. But somebody else might be like, this is why I got this crystal. I want to use the crystal now. Mm. But it's a thing I have to always remind people of, for example, on Mars, that when you get this thing, you don't actually get it now. It'll be available next turn. In that, like the list example from that book, they might have been, he might have meant more like the theme and the vibe of the game. And so like maybe we're stretching it a little bit for our sake. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, it it could be something like that where like, unless you kind of see what the intent is, you know, it doesn't, it feels sort of arbitrary or just sort of like, why do we have to do this? Like, I've definitely felt that in games or or even times where like those moments where you go back and check the rule book and you're like, wait, did we miss something? Am I like, why would I, why would we do this? Should I only have one hand left? Should I only have, you know, one card? You know, that kind of feeling. I do think it can also start to play into some of the mess that some game designs have that I really like. So mm. a good example of that, Martin Wallace, I find designs like that. Cole Worley is another guy that kind of has that design. There's like this really, really tight core system. And then there's usually this one thing kind of off in the side that feels a little bit weird. But because it's a little bit weird, I like it. Can you give an example? Yeah, so I'll use I'll use Byzantinium as an example. Yes, um, I was thinking of that <laughs> because Although I would pronounce it Byzantium, but you uh, know, but Canadians and hey, you know what? I uh, I don't know how to speak English. <laughs> no, you know how to speak Canadian. That's fine. exactly speak it proudly um, because that has a fairly solid central core system of you know combat and rolling dice, and it has this little cue pushing thing going on uh-huh. with like resource management. But then you also have like a second army that you're controlling and you're moving that across the board. And that's kind of weird. And then there's one place that you can't just directly attack. You have to use a certain side faction that is just kind of like there. Uh-huh. But if that side faction wasn't there, I don't know if I would be as into that game because when you play it, you could totally upset the balance of power because you've hired this side faction to like wreak havoc in somebody else's area or just end the game. 
Or you could have that side faction just completely collapse and now all of a sudden that's not an option for other players. So it creates a weird environment, but it feels very out of nowhere. Since it's like a historical game, a part of me is like, well, those were real. That was a real faction at that time. So it feels like it fits. It's so strange to think about that, like within three turns, if this faction is used and rolls well, the game could just end from like an NPC, essentially just like taking over the capital. Which is so, I think it's Jerusalem, which is so strange, but for some reason I don't feel like that's arbitrary, and I don't know why. That's kind of what I want to talk about. Like, how come that doesn't feel arbitrary to me? Why does that feel like it fits? I I think it's because in that case, it's a historical game, and there's a lot of weird going on. Like, you are controlling two separate factions that are kind of not getting along, but you can't attack yourself, but you can also block yourself in with them. Like there's a lot yeah. of odd stuff going on in that game, which is one reason that I think it's a really cool game and I wish more people played it. Because there's so much, I guess, odd stuff, that extra little bit of odd doesn't necessarily stand out and it feels thematic and it feels like part of the fiber of the game instead of, yeah, we need player interaction in this because there's no player interaction, so here's a little bit of player interaction. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Can we think of an example other than on Mars of arbitrary rules so that we don't just keep beating up on Mars? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Feld is the master of arbitrary constraints because his games, this is very reductive. It's almost like he makes one game and then he he splits it into six different colors. <laughs> and he's like, if you're using the red die, you can only play the game with the red tiles or whatever. If you're using the yellow die, you can only do yellow stuff. And it's like, they're all interchangeable. They're just different colors. And so arbitrarily, because I took a blue dye, I can only do blue stuff. But it's no different than red stuff or orange stuff or yellow stuff or purple stuff or whatever it is. And so it's like, he gives you these like handcuffs that are all the same in different colors and then gives you keys in those colors and says, here, unlock your handcuffs with these (laughs) keys that match. And it makes you feel good because you feel like you're cleverly getting around these constraints but they feel really arbitrary if you stop, if I stop to think about them. One example I'm kind of thinking of, cause I know we've talked about it, but a lot of times there's the rule of like keeping something hidden, like having a screen or like hiding your tiles or something. And sometimes that feels a little bit like, do you need to though? You know, like what happens if you don't, what happens if you just show your hand and people can see it? I mean, obviously in a lot of games it would very much change the game, but there are some games I think where it, it really isn't a big deal if you don't have a player screen and it kind of maybe even adds just an interesting layer of seeing, you know, like interaction even. I don't know if those are arbitrary, but I think sometimes maybe there's cases like that where it's, you just kind of fall back on like what you've seen or like what you're, you, you know, it just kind of makes sense that like, oh yeah, you have your hand of things. And so obviously they're hidden and you just kind of like assume that you shouldn't do that. This is super common with Kinesia and hidden trackable info for points, like through the desert, you're supposed to play with your points face down. Samurai, you hide your points behind a screen. And I could name 50 other games probably. And a lot of people don't like this idea of hidden trackable information because to them it's arbitrary. It's like you're just making memory a skill that is needed. And to me that feels like an arbitrary thing. I would rather not test my memory against others. So I'll just remove it and it plays just fine. And And I found, for example, that both those games I just mentioned, in my opinion, play better with open info. It's more fun. It's more exciting. You can talk about things. And so to me... They're not arbitrary because I get why he did it. He doesn't want ganging up on leader, overthinking things too much. For my tastes, it's unnecessary, which maybe is close to arbitrary, but not quite the same thing. I don't know. 
Fair. I think that also starts to get into more of a meta conversation of the hobby as a whole and shorthands. Because if you think about a lot of deck builders, a lot of people, when they're designing a deck builder, will just say, hey, you have your market of six cards. When you buy a card, that automatically goes into your discard pile. And Ugh. then that will delay the tempo of that card coming in until you cycle your deck again. That could take three or four rounds before you're actually able to get that card without actually having the conversation of, well, what if I put that into my draw pile? Just because we're so used to deck builders, it goes into your discard pile, it becomes a shorthand, not necessarily experimenting and shaking it up can kind of lead to that arbitrary feeling, I think, where it's just, oh, this is how deck builders work, so we're going to do that. Where, you know, there's probably a way that deck builders could be done differently if we experiment a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I was getting at a little bit, like kind of people falling into the the patterns, you know, the the tried and true yeah, I, th- I think it has to do when when somebody thinks I want to make a deck builder, as opposed to I want to make this game, and then in making it, they're like, "Ooh, deck building could work here." And like they, if they naturally like um, Taverns of Tiefenthal is technically a deck builder, and in that game, whenever you buy a card, it goes to the top of your deck. And I am so positive that Wolfgang did not think to himself, "I want to make a deck builder." He wanted to make a game about running a tavern, and then deck building just naturally arose as a you know one of the tools that would work in the game, but it's been adapted to work for the game. It's not like you're building the game around the mechanism. You're building the mechanism for the game. And I think you can kind of tell. And that's when games could feel uninspired or or have arbitrary rules because they're holdovers from previous games that have inspired them, but they haven't really asked themselves, does it fit here? What's, what purpose does it serve yeah. in this game? Ooh, I don't know if this is a good example, but one I just thought of is uh, Longshot. That's the dice game uh, with the little mm-hmm. roll and righty thing some of the powers you can get are like pulling other people back. And I, I've, I've just have found that in, especially once the player count gets higher, which the game is actually pretty fun once, like even at like six or seven or eight people. But if you have those powers, then you have eight different people who have two, like I think there's two different abilities that let you pull people back, like one space and two spaces. And if you have like eight people all pulling people back one space and then another two spaces, it just takes forever. And it's like, I get why it's there, sort of. It adds a little interaction. I just wish that there was like an extra rule there that like helped it. I don't know. It's always bugged me. <laughs> That's also based on another game called Longshot. And I've never played Longshot, but I'm curious if that is a holdover from Longshot or if it's a holdover hmm. from an earlier version of the game. Because I think that's something that can also very easily creep in there is you think of an idea for a game and there's this one system that you really, really like. And as the game evolves and grows over the course of playtesting, that one system becomes increasingly irrelevant. But because you like it and because you think it's cool, it just sits there. (laughs) And it kind of is there even though you don't need it there anymore. It just hangs out. That probably is the culprit for why some of these rules are there. What about the the other way, like the inverse of the question? What makes a board game rule feel intuitive, like non-arbitrary, like when it's natural? Like, mm-hmm. for example, in some games, for whatever reason, I always forget to draw the card at the end of my turn. But in other games, I won't forget that. It feels like somehow it's it makes sense or, or like for some reason, I always remember it in one game, but not the other. So in the other game, it feels like it's tacked on. And the other game, it's like maybe drawing that card is so important that without it, I would be so wrecked that I don't forget but in the other game, it's like, eh, if I miss a card or two, I'll still be fine. 
I, I think that comes down to how much of a focus the game is putting on that element. I was just going to say that. Oh, awesome. Okay. Um, I feel validated, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> to your point, Robert, if you're excited to draw the card because it's either going to advance your board state or it's going to give you more options or, you know, it's something that you've card counted yourself and it was something you bought a couple turns ago and you're finally getting it and you're excited about that, I think that's going to motivate you and the game is putting more importance on that than something like, oh, don't forget to refill the tile market at the end of the turn. You're not necessarily excited about that because you've already got your options. You know what your potential next turn is going to be. So you're thinking about that. You don't need to worry about that tile market. That's somebody else's problem. Yeah. Yeah. I Yeah. Focus is the word that I was going to use. And I feel like when the game has like a good central thing where you can just have the high level idea of like, okay, here's largely what we're doing. And then you get that and then everything else is kind of like, oh, just like a little question you have to clarify. Like, oh, I, I, I know I move because that's the whole point is I have to like move across the desert or I have to do across the trail or whatever. And, and wait, then wait, it, wait. move across the desert <laughs> or through the desert? I was trying to think of something that didn't sound like the name of a game, but um, <laughs> ding. Yeah, I have to build a thing, whatever. I, I have the goal. And then there's just like those little details of like, wait, do I move two spaces when I do this? Or, you know, like you might have to clarify some things, but the larger picture is focused and things aren't just sort of like, well, here's this section where you can do this stuff. And then there's this section over here where you can do this stuff. And then there's this section over here where you can do all this stuff. And um, that for me, it starts to feel like feel more arbitrary. Maybe they're not. I'm sure they all have a reason or I'm sure, you know, like somebody thinks they have a reason. It's just like, it gets harder to hold in my head and it starts to feel like you just have all these kind of random parts. Right. And I think that's why Feld's games feel so good is there's not really a system you want to not touch. Yeah, it I think it's like you can, bad. you can still have these big sprawling things where there's all these different, you know, battles or events or things happening. But if there's a, something that kind of helps you connect all those dots. Yeah. And I think this arbitrariness is why some like some games, it's really hard for me to remember the rules. And it's like I dread teaching them because I know I'm going to have to like go and re remember that rule. Yeah. So, for example, I like Jiraku. And it's a simple game, but I always forget something. Hmm. Same with Taj Mahal. Um, Ding. Ding. It's also a fairly simple game, but every time I forget one thing. Whereas like Botswana, I will <laughs> never forget the rules to that game ever. Yeah. Through the desert, I will also not forget the rules to that game ever. Hmm. Um, so I don't know what it is and it's not just like the number of times you've played it because I've played, you know, for example, Taj Mahal many times at this point, but it's just like, there's something slightly unintuitive or clunky about, um, how you score and I always forget a piece of it. So like to me, it's arbitrary. I, I feel that way about sea salt and paper, which is a nice little card game. I really like it. It's a really fun game, but like I have played it probably at least a dozen times now on on board game arena and in person. And like, I swear to God, I still have to like read the little player reference card and like, and not just like skim it. I have to like read it. You know what I mean? Cause I'm like, okay, wait, when I stop and it, okay, then I, how do I score? You know, like it's just something about the scoring of that just does not compute for my brain. That might be even my best example of like what feels to me like arbitrary rules where like, I get it. It like every time I do it, I'm like, okay, that makes sense because I'm risking it by not going around versus going around. You know, like I understand why they're all there. It all makes sense. It's all fair. But like something about it just 
every single time I'm like, wait, hold on a second. <laughs> I actually think scoring is the most arbitrary thing in most. That's probably games. where you feel it the most. Yeah. yeah. There have been games I've gotten rid of because I just don't want to teach how it scores. Playing it's fine. I enjoy the game. But once you hit scoring, it's like I would rather do anything else other than score this. Let's just play the game and we'll pick a winner. Let's just assume we like just go off gut. Like I think you won. But scoring should be the least arbitrary thing in some sense. It drives all player motivation. It's the why, yeah. right? Like sort if, of. if we if we kind of Right, not not why you're playing the game, but why the character who you are becoming in the game mm-hmm. is doing the things, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you, you should play to win. We had a whole podcast <laughs> episode on this like two episodes ago. But if you just treat yourself as like a character from when the game starts and ends, the whole point is to win. Yep. And so that's, that's your motivation. So it's so strange that it would be arbitrary. But in some games, it just doesn't feel arbitrary. Like in Yellow and Yangtze or Tigris and Euphrates... Ding. The scoring is weird, right? But it doesn't feel like you could, you'll never forget it. Yeah. It's, it maybe takes you a little bit to explain to somebody, but as soon as they get it, your score is your weakest colors score. It's like it's there forever. Like that, that makes sense why it's that way. And it's like different but clean. Mm-hmm. It's not some clunky like you score one, three, then 10, then 17. But if you have two red cards, then that makes it half. <laughs> like there's none of that. It's, it's clean. Yeah. So you can be different, unique, opaque, but still clean. Um, and memorable economic games are great for this money is points and so you need money to do stuff in the game but you also need money by the end of the game for points so there's a tension in that yeah sometimes when whoever is the highest up on the track gets like five more bonus points it's like yeah okay let's give the leader more points like why like you know i mean it it kind of makes sense right like they're doing well they get rewarded that's kind of how games tend to work you do something well like the better you play it the more points but like there's something about just giving them even more points for doing well where you're like they've already done that i mean speaking of points a lot of people find point salad style games arbitrary Mm. in the sense that whatever you do you score points for it so your choices should just are arbitrary like it doesn't matter they don't have as much of an impact right you're looking at a a difference of seven versus six as opposed to in a in a game with a binary win condition a win versus a loss yeah Right. Like one point is nothing versus like a total game changing move. It's interesting. We haven't really talked about luck too much, have we? And I mean, I feel like if something's really lucky, it can feel super arbitrary. Right. Like if yeah. if I'm just rolling dice and it doesn't, then it kind of feels like well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I've, I've heard that. I've heard that comment. Yeah. I feel it doesn't matter what I do because the die roll will determine at the end of the day. But I think that's on the designer at that point to not be funneling enough attention to the dice. Whether that be through mitigation, whether that be through the effects of the dice, like a good push your luck game, even an area control like combat game where you're rolling dice for combat, you should feel excitement when you're rolling the dice, even though you know it's just a random number getting generated. I think there should be enough funneling of that experience Mm. that it should feel a little bit more than that. There's a part of you that you're putting into that die roll. Or like some odds that you feel like you, you have an edge, you know, or something that or maybe you don't, but you want to. It would be so cool if you still pulled it off. I mean, that's still about arbitrary, but that's more like my decisions feel arbitrary, right? Yeah, versus yeah, yeah. The, the rules, rules yeah. feel arbitrary, right? But I think I think they probably overlap. I mean, I think they're similar topics. It's making sure that the decision doesn't feel arbitrary, that the rules around the dice feel concrete enough that you can make a decision that feels impactful. 
Like I think I think you could have non-arbitrary decisions in a game that feels like it has arbitrary rules. Totally, yeah. Like for example, if randomly it's like, oh, you have to discard down to two cards. It's like, well, this I don't know why, but I have to choose now, and my choice really matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Or vice versa. Clean rules that make sense, but at the end of the day, feel like your decisions are arbitrary because there's too much luck. For instance, I definitely think it's kind of tied to like being able to remember them, the intuitiveness, you know, it just yeah. just that flow of. You know, how, how easily can you get into that kind of flow state of I know what I'm doing. I know how things are working. I know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I understand why they put that there. And, you know, like we're all just grooving. Yeah. When a rule kind of is like, oh, no, you have to take two of those. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> that, that's where it starts to feel kind of you get pulled out of it. The, the suspension of disbelief or whatever. The veil gets <laughs> lifted a bit. Let's do our favorite game that has rules we seemingly cannot remember. Got it. Okay. I think I got okay. mine. All right. Evan? Okay. This is probably recency bias because I just played it. I really like it. But Food Chain Magnate. Uh. Uh, the reason for it is the game is weird as all get out. I love it. It's a route building game where you don't actually build routes. But, and it's not technically. Oh, that makes sense. It, it's not <laughs> even a route building game. Like, it's so weird. That makes even more sense. Yeah. Um, there's all these mechanisms that don't really seem to fit together at first blush. And then when you start playing, it's like, oh, this makes sense. So once you start playing, it's very intuitive. But there's a lot of little wrinkles where it doesn't feel like when you're teaching it, you're teaching the right game. It feels like you're teaching someone wrong until you start playing. And you go, oh, this makes sense. And then you have stuff like milestones, which is the first time someone does it, it unlocks that milestone. Anybody else that round can take it. But then you can't get that milestone ever again in subsequent rounds. And so there's all these little things that will have cascading effects throughout the game. I generally will have to flip through that rule book before I teach it again. And another splatter, just an honorable mention, is The Great Zimbabwe, which is not a hard game. It honestly feels very Knitzian in how simple it is in a lot of ways. Mm. I wouldn't say it's Knitzian because it has some weird rules to it, including... um, there's two types of victory point tracks. Uh, there is a victory point track that is uh, how many victory points you have. And then there's a little marker that is how many victory points you need to win. And both move. Both excellent, both a lot of fun, but both very weird and very hard to teach off the cuff. I would love to play both those games. I will hook you up <laughs> when it's not 1130 Canadian time. <laughs> Wonderful. I think my pick is Rhinelander. What? Oh, oh right. Ding. Ding? You, you said it like Ryan Lander. I'm like, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Lander. It is a simple game and a moderately simple Kinesia game. It is like four to, f- it's really good with four to five players. And it's a game that combines card play of the simplest type imaginable, which is just on your turn, play a card. That's it. With tile placement. And it's kind of like a choir where like you you build out these duchies with these discs and like if you merge into somebody else, you take over the duchy. If yours if yours was bigger before theirs was before you merged. So it almost feels a bit like snake, where like you like grow this huge chain of your of, of discs that make up a duchy and then it kind of like eats another person's duchy. But there's a thing that I never remember about when they merge and how to resolve that. There's something really clunky about it. There's also this like huge pawn that's called the bishop. And if you have the most of something, you have the most like church tiles, you you get the bishop. 
and then the bishop lets you knock other people out, but under specific conditions. It's strange, but as soon as I read the rules, I kind of remember it. It's just like I, I I never remember it between plays. All right. I think for me, it's Pax Premier, second edition. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have like four tabs, like four games that I'm thinking of that all kind of are could be my top one. Um, but that's the one that I feel like I remember the least of, and I would have to reread. And I just know that it has a very kind of thick, meaty rule book, and I, I'm sure a lot of like I know a lot of the stuff is there and makes sense in a for like a game mechanic standpoint like the whole market of cards and stuff and i'm sure you could there's some maybe thematic tying to some some of that um and i know a lot of it is thematic i want to give a special shout out to dead reckoning too (laughs) i really really like that game and there's a lot of stuff that i think makes sense thematically but then there's stuff that's just like and then you got to do this and put that and like you can't do that though you you have to drop it off before you can do that and then you can move and then like there's, there's definitely some stuff that feels like kind of takes you out of the, the moment um, here's a question if we ding every time we mention a Knizia, should we oh, oh, no. every time steve mentions dead reckoning <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me right now how do you score in pax boomer i could not really tell you i think <laughs> i know i know it's about that's what i mean man i don't out, but i don't remember exactly what the conditions i don't remember are. how a lot that's the worst <laughs> rule to teach is scoring because there's like two different types of scoring you can have and explaining how either one of them triggers is its own thing and then explaining how you determine the score people look at you like you have nine heads not even two nine <laughs> I'm not even sure I remember what you do in the like. I know that you get cards, and I know that there's a map that you're influencing, and I know I had a lot of fun playing it. Um, but like the exact specifics of like how you acquire the cards and how you play them and what they do. Well, that is our episode on arbitrary slash unintuitive slash clunky slash hard to remember board game rules. We did it. I love that we did not get derailed. That was great. If you liked what you heard. Drop us a line at cardboardphilosophypod at gmail.com or on our Board Game Geek Guild, Ooh. which we now apparently have. Don't ask me how it <laughs> Evan, works. can you tell us more about... Oh, okay. <laughs> Evan will not be telling us about how it works. I was, uh, I was it, just about to ask. It, oh, so basically, it's a little corner of Board Game Geek that we call home. If you want to discuss an episode of the pod over there, you can. If you have something kind of come to your mind when you're listening to the pod and you're like, hey, I wonder if anybody else has ever thought that. Feel free to swing over there. You can uh, subscribe. We actually have a couple of subscribers to the guild already, which is very exciting. And uh, you can uh, start a discussion. We're going to try to keep it as classy as possible. Um, And with that, we will leave you to play games. Please play games. Whatever you do, play a game. (laughs) Between now and two weeks from now, force whoever you need to force. (laughs) Blackmail them to whatever you need to do and play a game. Good night. That's what happens when we record late. Yes. I like unhinged Robert. This is a new side of him. <laughs> I just want to be done. <laughs> <laughs>